Hey everybody, how you doing? This is Aaron Maurer, aka Coffee Chug, aka the tall, bald, ugly guy. Hey, I'm here with another episode of Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast, this time doing another part of the series of Coffee and Chapters with Coffee Chug. This time I don't have any guests. I'm going to be talking about the book Rework, which was published in 2010. And here we are in 2020 dealing with remote teaching, with remote learning. And as I was reading this book, going through my my massive book pile that I've talked about several times now, I couldn't help but continue to find connections between what Jason's talking about with his company, where the whole entire organization is done remotely, and applying it to our situation here in education. So what I've done in this particular podcast is it's just me. I'm going on a limb and going on a solo adventure here talking about the book, but as opposed to talking about it from a business slash selling product concept, I've taken some of what I thought were the key ideas and applied it to education in the landscape now of how in the world are we navigating how to teach remotely, how to learn remotely. So what you're going to find in this podcast is me just talking about some key concepts with my own thoughts woven in, um, some of the key ideas and quotes remixed for the sake of education purposes. And I've also made a video. So in the show notes, you will find a link to a YouTube video where I've put together slides and images and visuals, as well as all the links and anything mentioned in the conversation in the show notes. So if if you are a visual learner and want to see the visuals, I think I did a pretty good job. You know, I'm a little biased. Make sure you check that out. And please let me know what you think about this. Did you like the video version? Did you like the audio version? Did you like this type of concept? I'm just trying something new um, as we explore. So here we go. Let's dive into this book, Rework, by Jason Fried. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Aaron Mauer, outside the box thinker, here to teach each and every teacher how to tinker. Living on the edge of chaos, born insane. Listening to coffee chugs like happy for the boring. One of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born. Here to show the world that there's more here than corn. Chaos. Everybody, how you doing? This is Aaron Maurer. I'm here. I'm trying something different. As many of you know, I have a podcast that I run, Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast, where I speak with many guests on trying to push our own thinking and our thoughts and our ideas. And, and recently, I've been doing a kind of a mini-series or a, a subset of, of episodes within the podcast um, called Chapters and Coffee with Coffee Chug. And so uh, what we've been doing is I've been reading books. And getting other people to read along with me. And then we've been having some roundtable discussions around the book. Well, for this one, one of the things that I'm doing is um, I recently read a book. And I thought I would try something different where I would create both an audio version of the podcast and a video version of the podcast. And I'll post here on YouTube for those that are checking it out. And and one of the books that I recently read was the book Rework, um, which is an excellent read from quite some time ago. Actually, if I, let me double check here. I believe it was published in 2006, if I remember correctly. And of course, now I'm not going to be able to find it. But um, this is a great book. It's, the goal was to talk about uh, working remotely. And so this company in particular, 2010, this book was published in 2010. And the whole premise of this book is how do we work remotely using uh, an example of someone who runs his whole business through a remote operation. 
fast forward to today, and when I read this book, it really resonated with me because here we are doing a lot of remote teaching and remote learning. And so uh, part of this journey of, of why I want to share this is you can see here in the picture a stack of books. I've been reorganizing my office. I, I completely revamped my whole office to be set up for proficiency, um, efficiency, and productivity. So I have redesigned the whole space for remote learning and remote teaching. My wife's an educator. I have three children that are trying to learn. And myself, I support uh, many schools in their journey as well. So the stack that you see is I got rid of two huge bookshelves full of books. I had one bookshelf full of books I've read um, that was just a little hesitant to get rid of, and another bookshelf of to-be-read books. These are the to-be-read books that I have purchased over the last couple of years that I just haven't read. So I'm working through a process of selling them, reading them, and then either donating them, handing them off to someone, um, or if it's really, really a powerful read that I'll read again, I will add to the shelves that I recently installed on my wall. The idea is to minimize and to declutter because one of the things that I'm finding in my office is um, I have so much going on that it's overwhelming that I can't get the work done. So with that, this book, Rework, uh, was one of the first books I took off the top of the pile and started to read. And it really resonated with all the coronavirus and people trying to figure out how do we navigate these new waters of remote teaching and learning. So what I want to do is take the ideas from the book. I, I, I took a bunch of notes, as you can see here. I've converted them into some of the key ideas and then remixed it with an education flared lens. So the ideas for the most part come from the book and I've just reworked it because I'm not here to sell product. I'm not in the business world, but I do care immensely about teachers and their willpower and their mindset and being able to navigate this and make this work because they care so much about their students. Um, during these times and I want just it's, it's just an idea of, of some good reminders this book really resonated with me with a lot of things so let's dive into it here and uh, share some things if you're just listening to audio version just know the access to the slides and images are available in the show notes and if you're watching the video then obviously you can just see the work as we go through so one of the first things that Jason talks about in this book is the idea that your workspace can't be your living space. And I think this is a really hard transition for a lot of us uh, in education right now for both if you have your own children trying to learn as well as us as educators because we haven't had to do this before. And we haven't had spaces already created. A lot of us maybe don't have spaces to even begin with. But I think something that's vital so you're able to break down the difference between when you're in work mode and family mode or mom mode or parent mode or kid mode or relax mode is you have to create spaces that are dedicated, dedicated to living, dedicated to work. So for me, it's the office. Um, you know, my wife has the dining room table for her work. My son is using his desk in his room. Um, you know, and so my youngest were really struggling with because she just kind of bounces around onto the couch and here and there, but she has a desk. We're trying to get her to use more and more. And so trying to create these spaces because otherwise, because we care so much about our job, you're going to find yourself working around the clock. You're going to find yourself doing work when you should be relaxing. You're going to find yourself doing one more thing when you should be talking or hanging out with your kids. And so it's very important to create that dedicated space. No matter how small, no matter how ridiculous it is, create a space. And so I will link in the show notes if you're interested how I redesigned my office. Um, so you can see that I gave a video tour um, a few weeks back. Um, but I think this is the very first thing. So look at your space. What have you created for your, your kids and what have you created for yourself? 
I really like this quote here. This is good not just for remote teaching and learning, but I think just life in general, that failure is not a prerequisite for success. We hear all the time that we have to fail fast or failure is the greatest learning tool or it's okay to fail and make mistakes, yada, yada, yada. We, we spent so much time on failure. But I think as we try to figure out these new platforms of learning and teaching is we don't have to fail to have success. A lot of you, um, I think, just need to realize like you're successful already. You're an amazing educator. You have a huge impact in the lives of these kids. So just carry that over to the online thing. And you don't have to wait to make mistakes five or six times for it to work. You could have success right away. And I think sometimes we have a narrative in our head that we think, oh my gosh, I'm going to mess this up. I'm going to mess this up. I'm going to mess this up. As opposed to taking the advantage of like, you know what? I do this good already. I'm naturally good in my job. Now I just need to deliver it in a new platform. And if you do make mistakes, it's okay. But don't let the fear of failure because we we think we've unintentionally ingrained in our head that we have to have so many mistakes before we're successful because failure is good, you know, in order to move on. So embrace the success right away and, and run with it. Which leads me to this idea here that wasn't directly stated in the book, uh, but he talks about this idea of nature here a little bit. Um, but I really like this, you know, um, not to get into a huge evolution debate, but things that have survived the, the, the test of time is because they build upon what works. You, you continue to use and evolve what's working and you discard what's not. And so I think as you're figuring these out in these, these early days of remote learning and teaching is to treat life like nature and to build upon what works. And I think that's really important. Keeping track of what's working for you and what's not. If it's not working, then let's make an adjustment. Okay, I'm not going to sit here and reference the quote on insanity. You've heard it all the time, but let's look at it through a nature lens. And if it's nice outside, you know, side note, get outside and enjoy some nature. So the other thing here as, as we transition with that idea is to think about this, that working more does not mean you care more or you get more done. It just means you work more. It's going to be really hard to keep this balance, especially when you're at home, especially if you have children at home, if your spouse is home, um, or even if you're by yourself, they all bring the variables that we think we have to be working around the clock. You have to have a, a turnoff point. Because if not, for those that aren't used to this remote type of learning, you're going to find yourself checking email more than ever before. You're going to find yourself checking Google Classroom to see if a kid submitted a comment. And you're going to feel pressured in your own good heart and intentions to respond right there in that moment. Just because we've moved online doesn't mean you have to give instant feedback. It's going to be important. We're going to talk about this later to build routines. Build a routine at this point is when I check this aspect and give feedback to kids. If you don't do that, you're going to find yourself working around the clock, but you're not going to find yourself making as much progress as if you actually build a routine. This, I think, has been a huge idea that has started to come out of the world of education as a result of remote teaching and learning. And we're starting to find this within our system, and we have an opportunity to do something about it. I like this quote from the book where he says, there's a world of difference between truly standing for something and having a mission statement that says you stand for something. So we have a lot of wordsmiths. We spend a lot of time in education making these fancy mission statements, vision statements, quotes and t-shirts and posters and banners and whatnot. But we're finding now that we have some inefficiencies in education. 
It's not a, I'm going to point at you and say that education's bad. What I'm saying here is we have an opportunity to figure out where are we and what are we going to do about it? I think a lot of our mission and vision statements and things that we claim we do as a system of education isn't there. We're starting to find the the, the, the cracks and inequities and, and the things that we truly say we provide kids. And now we have an opportunity to do something with it. With it, the moment's ripe for us to leap forward and go forth and make things happen. And I see this as not as a consequence or blaming or being negative, but as an opportunity to move things forward. When we have been talking about it for so long, we know what's needed, so let's do it. And here's a great opportunity to do so. As we start to transition to thinking about remote teaching and remote learning, this quote here I thought was really good as well, where he says, you need less than you think. We're starting with very little. We don't have access to our classroom. We don't have all the things that we have created, our stations, our physical learning spaces. But we can take what we have, the tools we have, or, and even if the very little, and we can still do some of that. I think where the big struggle is that I'm seeing as I'm working with lots of people right now is that people have lost the mask of busyness. In our spaces, in our routines, we have all these things that make us feel busy, make us feel like we have a lot going on, make us feel like we have a purpose. And now that we're here and, and, and we're stuck in our homes and all that stuff has fallen to the wayside, we have eliminated the quote unquote busyness, just the, the hoop jumping and the, you know, the meetings and the thing, the documents and all these, this, this crap, right, that we do to make it feel like we're doing something even though we're doing nothing. So we have a chance here is not to dwell on, man, I wish I had all the stuff in my classroom. Man, I wish um, I could see my students. Man, I wish I, you know, whatever it is in your role, but to have an opportunity to redefine meaningful work. What is that? At the end of the day, what is essential for kids to feel connected to you as an educator, as an administrator, as someone who's in part of your building, and what are we going to do about it to help ensure that they can get some learning done? And when you strip away a lot of that business, I think that's where a lot of us have been struggling because those things aren't there to mask or create a fog that we're doing a lot when really we're doing very little. And so, Again, it's not a judgment. I just think it's a mindset that we have to kind of work through. I think a lot of people are working through that. It's not easy because we have to redefine what is meaningful work. To me, the biggest thing is going to be when we ever get a chance to go back to our schools to not fog up our schedule, our time, our energy, and busyness and still keep a focus on the meaningful work because we're realizing a lot of the garbage that we do in education doesn't need to be there. And so how do we keep that garbage out and not bring it back? With that, if you are an educator or you're a tech coach or you're whoever it is, less is a good thing. Whether we're talking about tech in the sense of we don't need 47 new tools and, and those types of things, keep it simple, keep it streamlined, keep it easy. And the more you do that for yourself and for your students, the well-being is going to be there. We're already quite fragile. We're already feeling all sorts of emotions and feeling trapped within our places and, and all these types of things. And people are losing their jobs and it's hard to get food and we're missing our friends and we're missing our activities and our, our daily routines have been messed up. So as we start to push here to more online learning and, and who knows the fate of the future of education – we can't just pile up a bunch of stuff because we think that that's what's needed. 
It's doing less and just baby-stepping things for yourself as well as for the kids that we're trying to teach. And, of course, you know, I saw this this quote for those that are listening in. It's the Simpsons Sing the Blues album. Do you remember how great that was? And I'm going – I need to go back and listen to it. I just love this graphic. But, you know, before you sing the Not Enough Blues, figure out how far you can get with what you have because it's going to be really easy at this time of day to be like, oh, but I don't have – oh, but I don't have. And you don't need it. And I think this is part of uh, – you know, capitalistic society and, and things that we think we got to have all these things and we don't. There's there's so much out there to the fact that it's so overwhelming if we get any more links in our email or documents, right? But how do we take what we have, our heart, our spirit, our emotion, who we are, our personalities? I'm watching my wife connect with kids on a daily basis just through these little vlogs and they love it. They just need to feel a human connection. That's it. It doesn't have to be magical. It doesn't have to be a million-dollar budget. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. It's just see what you have and see how far that gets you. The other thing that I want you to think about is to be a curator. You're already great at doing this. This is naturally what you do as an educator. At least I hope that's what you're doing. You know, I love this quote by, by George Siemens here that says, A curator is an expert learner. Instead of dispensing knowledge, he creates spaces in which knowledge can be created, explored, and connected. And so as we think about that and you're giving these kids opportunities, you know, think about curating the content, the ideas, the questions, the curiosities to allow them to grapple with it and see what they do with it. This is a great chance to kind of get away from just rote, memorized learning and to create some opportunities for some really exciting dialogue new thought patterns, new ways of seeing the world because we're not tied so much to test and curriculum at this point for a lot of us. We have to meet some standards, don't get me wrong, but we can approach it in new ways and all the ways in which we talk about, if only I could teach this way, here is your chance. So I think it's, it's that mindset of, of definitely being a curator. I love this piece where he talks about the tone is in your fingers and he references the idea of Van Halen and how anybody could play the fretboard and the notes like Van Halen. However, it's not so much that we have all like, you know, the most cool guitar and the wah-wah pedals and all these types of things. What it is is how do we take our own flair? We don't need to have high-end equipment. We don't have to have fancy tech tools. The tone is in your fingers. And a lot of talks that I do when I'm talking makerspace or keynotes is I reference a lot to teachers that, you know, you have an opportunity. Music is a silence between the notes is, is um, what a famous musician has said. And I, I really think that's where educators come in. The, the notes are the standards, the criteria, all the things that we can't change in education. But the silence, the space in between all that is your classroom. And what you do in that, that's where the magic happens. That's where the music comes to life. So it's not about the tools. It's not about all the tech. It's about you and having the opportunity to make the magic happen. You are the silence between the notes. And don't forget the power that you have. You can compose one of the greatest learning opportunities with what we have with the right mindset of curating curiosity for our students. On page 98 of the book, he also talks about this quote here that many times I do not know how a certain area is to be done until I start working with the chisel, 
RASP or whatever tool is needed for that particular job. And on this particular page, we're talking about um, a sculpture guy. And in here, he's talking about the notion that what we need to do is just get the chisel out and start making something real. We don't have to have perfection. You're not expected to be perfect. You're not expected to have all this figured out. But get out there and try and see what works. And you're going to have to make changes along the way. And as much as this is new learning for you, it's new learning for the students. So, so they don't know any different anyways. So get out there and just try. Take this big old slab of marble that we've all been tossing our lap and start to chisel away a masterpiece and find something new that you're going to be able to use not just now, but in the future, and you're gonna discover new things about yourself as you go, and I think it's really important um, for us to remember that. So get out there and, and start making, start making a ruckus, as Seth Godin always says. A caveat here to this remote stuff that I'm finding, even myself, that meetings are toxic. They're, they're toxic to begin with. We love meetings and education. We love meetings. We love to meet, to plan more meetings, to find more work, to do more meetings, to talk about things that we didn't get done in the last meeting because we have more meetings that we're trying to prep for. And, and you know, I think we have to be very careful with this that we don't hammer out more meetings. Yes, we are working remotely, but it doesn't mean that we have to have more meetings. We can be more effective with our time. So these one hour, two hour, three hour meetings that many of us are used to having, we can cut that down to 15, 20 minutes. Let's cut to the chase. Let's get what we, what we need. Let's get in and get out. So keeping perspective, not overloading with meetings for the sake of meetings because we think we have to have it to fill our days. And then when we do get back to normalcy, whatever that is, continuing with that because we don't always need to meet. Let's just be effective and efficient with our time, and I think we're going to be okay. And I'm sure a lot of you are like, can I get an amen on that one? Yes, you can. Amen, my brothers and sisters. All right. Next, quick wins for you and your students. Start very small. Give them a small task. Give yourself a small task. Learn something very tiny. A lot of you are learning tech and your content conversion at the same time. It's two parallel learning paths, and that's a lot. So very small, tiny things. Get some momentum for you so you feel confident as the model and, and, and lead learner for your students. Get some momentum for your students and for families. For a lot of you, you are bombarding kids on Mondays or Fridays with all this content, and that's very overwhelming. So what are the small little nuggets to get going? And don't forget the family dynamic structure. Whether they are strong families or they have some families that are somewhat broken down, we have to build a momentum for them as well. right? We can't judge. We can't place any sort of, of, of what they can and can't do, but we have to make sure that we understand the realities that people are dealing with. And so small little quick wins is the key to keeping this going sustainable in the long run so kids don't check out on us because they have the biggest power leverage ever by checking out by just simply not opening up a device or getting online, right? So um, this idea of accountability is we have to get them coming back, you know, we have to get them addicted to the work that we're doing. Now, this is not in the book, but I think it's a good time for me to talk about some personal tips that I have found to be quite successful as we've been navigating these waters as a family. I have a high school student, I have a middle school daughter, and I have an elementary daughter. My wife's an educator, and then I am a consultant that supports 21 school districts. So we don't have it figured out, but we've got all the variables of trying to navigate these waters, you know, just with, with, with like many of you. So the first thing is you have to build a routine. Build a routine for your family, for your kids, for yourself. 
And that doesn't mean sleeping in every day and staying up late, even though it's really easy to do. You got to get up, you got to take a shower at the same time. You got to get dressed, even if it's, you know, a party down below and, and business up top. However you do it, you got to get dressed, you know, brushing your teeth, taking time to do your reading in the morning, whatever it is. Have a set lunchtime. Just like in your school and your work, have a set lunchtime, have a set dinner time, have a set bedtime. Because if not, it's all going to run together and you're going to find yourself mindlessly wandering, not getting anything done. Routine is so vital. Another thing that's been really helpful for me, and I know it's been very helpful for my children, is using timers to block time. Because otherwise you can find yourself spending four hours on one thing um, or your brain just being distracted. So we've been using the Forest app. You can use any kind of app you want or timer. And we just set it for like right now we're right around 30-minute chunks. We're going to do 30 minutes of reading. All of us at this time, this is what we're doing. We're going to do 30 minutes of, of math at this time. Now, my kids have different schedules, so we work through that. But I'm finding this to be helpful for me. This is where I talked about routines and having time to turn on and turn off. So for me, I'm running a Google geeking class. I check updates for the teachers and the comments and the submissions every day at roughly 6.30, 7 o'clock, right after I do my hour, hour and a half, my, my Lego quarantine challenge. And I'm not looking at it all day long, constantly responding. Every once in a while, I slip and do, but I'm trying to create this dedicated time for that. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself checking it over and over and over when you're laying in bed, on the couch, and you got to get that stuff off. So I get it off my phone. I don't have it on there. I don't have any work on my phone. I have to come down to my office to do that work. I'm building that divide from workspace to living space and building routines. This forest app is really good. Um, my daughter gets very overwhelmed, so... I was telling her, take 30 minutes and do science. When 30 minutes is up, you're done for the day. That's it. You're not doing any more. And then you can take a break, take a walk, get a snack, whatever, and we'll do some, We'll do math later. So having these, these blocks of times, we also have a family calendar with a big chalkboard in our kitchen, and we try to map out our routines as much as we can. Um, you know, so I think it's just building in those kind of habits is really important. As we transition back to some of the ideas of the book here, um, and a few more thoughts that I think is that as we think about what does this mean for us is, I love the idea of, of be at home good. Now here he was talking about products where we can find something really fancy in a store and we think we love it, we love the packaging, the feel, the, the glitz, the glamour, and then we bring it home and it's not what we thought it was. It's not really functional and we get caught on purchasing for emotion. While this podcast is not about purchasing and selling and, and, and marketing, I do want you to be at home good, conscious of what it is you're sharing out with families and your students. Um, so I want you to be careful of the products. There's so many amazing things out there, but if we overwhelm, overwhelm them with all these tools, it's just that it's overwhelming and we lose the, 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 the punch it can bring. So really think about executing on the basics. What are the essential things that your students need? And stick with that. Stick to just a few simple tools and be really, really good with that so they understand that the focus is on the learning and not constantly learning a new tool in order to get to the learning. So it's less flash and more the impact. Just deliver what's needed, get in and get out. And I think that's really important. Another thing that you've seen probably a lot online and probably been given suggestions is this idea of connecting that human connection and building relations the best we can during these times where you don't get a chance to talk with the kids before school or at lunch or they're walking out to the bus. 
Um, and so the idea in the book, he talked about going behind the scenes. And, and in the book, they talk about people are curious about how things are made. We're not here to talk about how we make a lesson, but I think it really resonates with a lot of what we're doing, a daily vlog. Are you connecting with your kids? A, a daily little post or a little video, just, hey, how are you doing? Question of the day. You know, I think the key here is to share your human side. Uh, we're using tools right now, helping my wife use Flipgrid shorts, and she's just posting a daily little video. They're goofy, they're zany, you know, these kind of fun, quirky questions. Um, and the response has been really good. The kids needs they need that. They need to know that your personality can still be um, felt and it can still resonate with them, even across um, the ether. Even though we can't always do it face to face, like we like, like we like to do, standing outside our classroom doors or in our classrooms or things like that. So I think it's really important that we show that the human side of, of who we are, um, our struggles, our positives, our questions, our personalities, whatever it is, you know your comfort level. But I think we have to make sure that we're sharing more than just content um, in order for our kids to stay checked in and engaged with what, what we're expecting them to be able to do, as well as for ourselves. Because I watch my wife laugh continuously every single day with the responses and ideas that she gets from her students. And it makes her appreciate how much she loves teaching and, and working with junior high kids. Last couple thoughts. I think this is important too, before you push anything out with your students, this is something I have um, encouraged and nudged for years, all the way back when I started first learning about project-based learning. And I think it's even more important now as we think about remote teaching and learning is you have to do it yourself first. So if you're going to push something out to a student to do or to perform or to explore, make sure you are doing it first. Test it out. You do it. Um, and see how it works, how it makes you feel, that kind of thing. Um, because I think that'll also then help with the previous idea of sharing your human side. So you could share that story like, hey, I checked this out. I watched this video. I did this project. Man, it was tough. You know, uh, we recently did a, an activity or my wife challenged the kids to build their own document station. And so they were stacking up. They built stuff out of Lego and stacked books and soup cans and candles. And so my wife showed hers. And I think it's just really important that, that we, we model what it is we expect kids to do. And in closing here, it's a lot of thoughts that I've given you today here on this, uh, this podcast talking about remote teaching and remote learning. But I think this is the most important one, and that is to take a deep breath. Remember to stay calm. Remember it's okay. Remember nobody's expecting perfection. And remember that you're amazing. Remember you have gifts. You do amazing work every single day. And because we're not actually physically in the classroom doesn't mean we still can't perform amazing work on a daily basis. Just has to look different. Doesn't have to feel different. Just has to look different. So take that deep breath. Make sure you take a break from the work. Make sure you have those places to clear your head, clear your mind, recharge your soul, your emotions. Make sure you hug those loved ones. Make sure you take care of those around you. You know, and remember that work is work. While the kids need you, all right, you got to take care of yourself first. You got to take care of your family, all right, and then those students. I know it's not easy to do that, but that's the task at hand. And finally, I want you to remember to avoid these three four-letter words that is also talked about in Rework. The first word is need. And just a reminder that very few things need to get done. We put pressure on ourselves. We create these huge to-do lists. We think all this stuff needs to get done. 
and it doesn't. Okay, they're they're nice to have done. Okay, they're 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 important maybe to get done, but they don't need to get done. What needs to get done? That your family knows that you love them. Um, you know that that you are taking care of yourself. There's a difference between you know needs and wants. I think don't blur those lines. Avoid the word can't. Yes, you can, and so can they. They being the students, you're going to be impressed with what the kids can do. I know we're worried about them, but they can do it. They do amazing stuff on a daily basis. They're going to surprise you with what they can do here. And last is the word easy. And this is usually used to describe the work of others, but very rarely do we use it to describe ourselves. And so I like this one. I like to end with this one. Just be very careful how we judge. Let's not judge one another during these times. Let's support. Let's come together. Let's connect. Let's do the right thing. Let's not point fingers. Let's not make it think that we are better than. Let's not make it think that our job is harder than. All right, let's work together and realize none of this is easy, but it's necessary in order to move forward and keep everybody on the right track. All right, my friends, I appreciate you listening. I would love to hear from you. Send me a comment. Let me know your thoughts, your ideas, things that are working for you, questions you have, you know, all that wonderful stuff. This is just my attempt to process some of my, my, my learning. Uh, my, my goal here is to connect with you in, in ways that we can't normally do face-to-face, but virtually. And if you'd like to learn more, obviously check out the website, coffeeforthebrain.com. You'll see the link to the podcast and all the show notes and the slides. If you're listening to the audio version, you can find me on Twitter at Aaron Mauer, E-D-U. The link also in the show notes. And I just appreciate all that everybody is doing in education during these times to make it work. So thank you. Take care of yourself. Virtual high fives all around. And as always, my friends, remember, stay awesome. Peace.